all the technical debt that we incurred in the initial pieces essentially led to kind of rebuilding the platform for us two years down the line. When we started basically the initial pilots, the key metric that we were looking at was do students actually use the platform if they like the platform enough to come back on a weekly basis or a daily basis. So, you know, we were designing functionality in our platform around making sure that our users are actually coming back. But it was a complete rebuild that we kind of built out in 2018 and launched in 2019. My name is Sean Acroy. I'm the founder and CEO of Yellowdig. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Shonak Roy took an idea and ran to build the platform around active social learning. All this and more on Code Story. Shonak Roy spent 10 years in the tech industry before deciding to be a tech entrepreneur. In his undergraduate studies, he studied mechanical engineering and eventually came to the States for his master's. Outside of running a company, he has two daughters and enjoys playing games and observing their patterns of learning, which applies to his current venture. Throughout his life, Shonak has always been fascinated by learning. When looking into building his own startup, he noticed that there wasn't a learning platform built around the mechanics of social media and community. This is the creation story of Yellow Dig. I started Yellow Dig back in 2015. So what we do is community-based learning. So if you think about the world we live in, it's entirely social media driven. Like we spend a whole bunch of time in all sorts of platforms, like depending on your interest, you might be in Facebook, you know, young people are in TikTok and other platforms. But if you think about learning, that experience is very much 20 or 30 years old, where all you do is, you know, get into a classroom environment, could be a physical classroom, could be an online class. And that experience is very much one directional where, you know, you get into a class, you read your readings, you answer your questions, submit your assignments, get your grade and you're done. There is a big missing piece in terms of actually building learning communities where people can actually share ideas, ask questions and help each other out. So Yellowdig brings that experience of social experience, but into the learning environment. Um, and it's a SaaS product. We license our technology to uh, academic institutions around the country. We work with over 100 universities now. Our goal is to essentially transform learning uh, with our SaaS technology. Back in 2015, I knew that I wanted to build a tech company, a SaaS company, and I was looking for, okay, what does you know, excite me enough that I'm going to be sticking around it for a long time. And learning and education is something I always valued a lot. And I also saw that there's a big need in building technology for learning. I kind of came up with this idea that it would be cool to have a social media type platform, but purely for learning. Um, You know, you go to Facebook for connecting with your friends and family. You go to LinkedIn for kind of, you know, checking on your coworkers or your past coworkers or finding new jobs. But there is no platform where you can say that, you know what, I'm going to learn about Bitcoin today. Where do you go and where do you actually start finding like-minded people who can interact with you and learn from one another as opposed to kind of, you know, 
other social media platforms which are designed for a very specific purpose but there's nothing like a platform where you can learn essentially but it, it's a social kind of a platform so that's how we got started back in 2015 and you know we have gone through i would say at least one big pivot back in 2018 to come to where we are today let's dive into the mvp so that first product you built and this is probably pre-pivot right so tell me about that mvp what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life and how long it took you to build the mvp was launched in 2016 with a few clients so i went to some of my earlier contacts in universities i essentially decided to go to universities because they are the ones who are designing courses and programs for the students i said you know if i can find a way to work with them and build a platform that they would say that they they like that would be a cool spot to be so 2016 is when we launched the mvp um, and the way i went about it is you know my background was in technology of course i have done some early building of technology but i did not have the capacity of the team so i was a one man show so i kind of decided that okay i need to hire a few people to build a very basic platform Essentially what I did is that you know I kind of opened up my PowerPoint presentation or I think Google Slides or something like that and drew up like okay if I were to design a social platform that looks and feels like social media but actually is for learning this is how it would look like and then went around found a few developers essentially offshore developers to kind of build it for me very basic and then to one of my first users who kind of said that okay if you build something I'll give it a try and that's what got started in 2016 so basically with some early pilots with the platform with those early pilots you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about what you're going to start with right what you're going to offer or even you know underneath the hood a little bit some technical debt you're going to accept so tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make with those early pilots the mvp etc and how you coped with those decisions the the long story there is or maybe the short version of the story is that all the technical debt that we incurred in the initial pieces essentially led to kind of rebuilding the platform for us 2 years down the line when we started basically the initial pilots the key metric that we were looking at was do students actually use the platform if they like the platform enough to come back to the platform on a weekly basis or a daily basis so you know we were designing functionality in our platform around making sure that our users are actually coming back so we came up ideas around gameful learning so that some amount of gamification so that they come back um we had some features around for instructors to be able to manage some of those communities because those became also you know some of the key aspects of our platform later on um we did that so you know i i think what happened for us was you know we we made some right decisions around kind of you know the initial feature set to be able to get into some of the early clients so that they to convert it from pilot to plate clients but what ended up happening was that and this is probably something one of my learnings is that you know you know kind of building on that mvp versus actually rebuilding the platform very quickly after we have got the initial traction was slightly delayed for us so we spent about couple of years to actually grow that product in the market but eventually we ran into these challenges that some of the enterprise clients who came around and said that okay we are going to now you know expand it from a few courses to an entire institution that's when the product started failing so that's the time we had to go back to the you know drawing board almost and kind of say that okay if we were to redesign the whole thing with the right kind of tools 
you know, with the right back end and front end technologies and everything else, how would we do it? And, and we ended up actually rebuilding the platform, like literally writing, you know, completely a new platform. But of course, like taking all the learnings from the old platform, but it was a complete rebuild that we kind of build out in 2018 and launched in 2019. Were there any sort of technological or architectural changes that you uh, you you know deployed with that pivot or product changes tell me a little bit about that yeah i would say all of that um you know architecturally you know of course we had the advantage now you know we started to realize that what are the constraints we had around our product like for example the product is a high use product right so you know, we, we have our users coming and creating a lot of content, you know, think about video content or all sorts of image or text content that they kind of create like any other social media platform. So we realized some of the constraints we had around managing, uh, you know, rapidly growing data on our platform. So, you know, choosing the right database. So we kind of, re- when we were replatforming, we chose a new database, um, which was much more suitable for this kind of an application. Um, you know, we also chose some front-end technologies, um, you know, especially social media. You know, the, the front-end tech has evolved very quickly over the last five years. So we kind of decided to choose some new, you know, frameworks uh, that was uh, much more suitable for what we were building. So I, I think the, the good thing was that all the initial experimentation we were doing with our MVP kind of led to the right technology choices for us when we were rebuilding it. And we made the hard choice of rebuilding it, as you said, as opposed to kind of just refactoring the code base. That helped us to kind of really make sure that we choose the right technologies. And from a feature standpoint, um, you know, honestly, like two years of data on the MVP was a lot of insights into how our user, users would like to use the platform. So, you know, that also kind of helped us to build the product in a way that can scale, like literally the one that we launched in 2019 is the one that we want to keep it for a long time because everything is kind of built in a way which can scale nicely and properly as opposed to we kind of constantly having to make like technology choices that kind of slows us down. From that point of the pivot, how did you progress the product? How did you mature it? And and I think really to wrap that question in a box, I'm interested in how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. It's a great question. You know, it's a constant challenge for us, you know, in terms of kind of really thinking about what to build and not to build. Um, You know, one thing I learned early on is that, you know, just because, you know, we want to build something doesn't mean it's going to add value to the product. So the framework that we have adopted since our pivot is, you know, the the users or our clients are the, the biggest voice in terms of what gets built. You know, we are getting feedback from a variety of sources, like our users give us feedback. We're actually using the platform. Um, you know, also our salespeople, our client success team, our, our tech team has their own vision. So there are always constants. Um, you know, uh, we have more ideas that we can build essentially at this point. But 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 the 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 the, the prioritization, the way we do this is essentially the first thing is what is our user saying is always the highest voice, and the second thing is. Does that fit into the philosophy that we have for the product? Um, you know, sometimes users come with ideas which are great. I think, you know, they would definitely benefit from, but that might take us down a, a, a direction for the product that we do not kind of buy into. Like to give an example, there is, you know, we are building a social learning app, which is quite different from, let's say, a project management app or a social media app. So, 
you know, our goal is to drive better learning for our users. And, you know, we, we, we have seen enough evidence that certain types of features help in learning where some other types of features, even though they are useful for our users, may not lead to the right outcome for us. And we have some conviction around it based on the data that we have seen. Um, so sometimes when our users will say, hey, can you build this, even though they are asking for it, but it doesn't drive the right learning outcome for us, which is one of our biggest metrics as a company, we would probably say no to that. Um, so, yeah, so to answer your question, I mean, it, it's a, you know, it's a, I would say it's a more art than science and it's a constant like a sausage making process for us. But we try to prioritize that way, which is our users comes first and then our philosophy comes second in terms of building the product. And then after that comes all sorts of other needs that we need in terms of kind of, you know, scalability or security and many other things that our clients are asking to make sure that the product is safe and secure. So let's switch to team then. So how did you build your team? And, you know, what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? What I would say is that when I started the company back in 2015, you know, my initial team was a team of developers, designers who had fully outsourced. Uh, and one key decision we made when we, re- I mean, when we replatformed is that our entire team has to be in-house because, um, and, you know, there are a lot of, lot of points of views around it of course you know you can add developers to the team who can you know build things fast but uh, what we see valuable is actually constantly kind of refining feature sets as opposed to building new features is where we have seen success and it's very difficult to have uh, you know refinement or improvement without uh, somebody who is fully bought into the company so so that's kind of what was one decision we made is that we do not have people who are not fully dedicated to the company. Even if you have contractors on the company or on a team, we make sure that they're fully dedicated, you know, fully bought into the mission. And they're almost like an employee as opposed to from a third party who's just building a feature for us. Um, so so that's the first thing I, I think that has worked for us, um, that, you know, that one decision. Um, the other thing we look for is, um, you know, especially... Skills are important, of course, because, you know, we are using certain technologies. We want people who are competent in those areas and they have some prior knowledge um, in those areas. That's helpful. But, but, but always we look for people who can learn quickly because, you know, these things keep on changing fast. Uh, but more importantly, I think, you know, having a clear interest in what we are building. Um, you know, we are not, a, you know, we are not just another software company, you know, because we are kind of we are working closely with educators day in, day out students and you know we look for people who has a lot of interest in that problem so that they are willing to spend the time to be able to kind of understand the needs of our users deeply um, and actually have the passion enough passion for it to kind of dedicate themselves to be able to solve them deeply is something that we look for so everybody in the team right now um, and it's not that you know we always get those people i mean sometimes people come in and they spend a few you know a few months and they decide that okay you know what it's not really my cup of tea and they can move on but but people who stick around with us are the ones who are deeply kind of care about the problem enough to be able to kind of you know go you know beyond the last mile and kind of go beyond what the ask is to be able to kind of create the right experience for our users 
let's flip to scalability then. And and you've mentioned it a few times in your answers, and so I'm I believe you're excited to answer this question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it on you. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow? And and if the latter, how? The MVP that we launched in 2015, it, it was a factor that I scalability wasn't the biggest question in my mind. The biggest question was, does this even work? Or if would people actually use this thing? Or do I have I you know have we really understood the problem properly? Was the main question. So the MVP was all about really watching the behavior of our users to be able to kind of understand the problem space better. So that was a goal. Um, and as a result, the product wasn't scalable. And, you know, looking back, I do believe that's the right thing to do is to focus on the user and the value prop as opposed to actual technology choices in an MVP because you want to, you know, experiment quickly enough to get to the problem or the solution faster, I think is the right goal. Um, the, the only thing I realized from that experience is that you know, as soon as you have a good enough handle around the problem with the solution, it's important to quickly pivot into actually thinking about scalability. Um, and what happened for us is that we tried to scale an MVP product into a scale solution, and we kind of spent a couple of years doing that, and we realized that wasn't the right path. So that's why we had to kind of re-platform, you know, in 2018, 2019. Um, but when we replatformed, I think the first thing we, we thought about is that we still have to think of our users, right? Because in, at the end of the day, you know, when you when we are replatforming or rebuilding a, a product, um, the first question is that would users still use it? Because a lot of things change when you replatform. So that was always the part. But I would say from a scalability point of view, we kind of thought about the bigger blocks more than the smaller blocks. Like, like the biggest thing we, we thought about is that, okay, are we going to choose the right technology choices like the database technology that we are choosing we have to stick around it for the, for, the, for a long time are those the right choices for us so we spend a lot of time thinking about those choices as opposed to actually using the technology in the right way so you know sometimes we will kind of build a, a part of our product in a way so that we have covered the big block which is the right technology and we have deployed in the right way but kind of knowing in the back of our mind that you know, if this thing is actually scaling, like a couple of years down the line, we may have to do this thing, which is probably something we are not doing right now. So it's always that, which is um, almost like a balancing act where, you know, we are making sure the big blocks are well taken care of, but the small blocks can wait. And that's what we have been doing for the last three years as we are building this app. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The most exciting thing for myself and our team is when we hear from our users that they love the experience. Um, I, I think that's something we have been trying to build right from day one, and that has a lot of things. You know, I, I think the the reason that is the most we are most proud about that experience or the feedback that we are getting or the testimonials or whatnot. You know, in Twitter, somebody goes and says they love Yellowdig because of this reason. Because, you know, that was a complex problem. I, that was the hardest thing for us to pull off, I believe. Because, you know, in education, the space that we are in, um, there are quite a few things has to work in our favor to be able to create the right experience. Like, firstly, of course, the technology, the product has to be well-designed and, you know, pro, you know create the right kind of user experience. So that's number one. 
The second is that the the gatekeepers who are educators who have you know years and years of research experience and teaching experience need to feel that our product is actually adding value into their courses and programs that they're using us. Uh, and finally, I would say is that you know there are many other technologies out there right now which is trying to improve education, and we being one which is like okay, people are actually calling us out as something that they like. as opposed to like you know 20 other things that they're using uh, for their you know teaching and learning um i i think which is why i feel that anytime i hear from any user who is speaking good things about the product or the company or the some you know experience they had with our client success team um you know on their own basis without we kind of begging for it like they going into it or something else i i think that is those moments are the most exciting for us Well, let's flip the script a little bit, Shanik. Uh, tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. You know, when we launched Orena, you know, when we launched the second version of the product in 2019, which is our the, the technology was, you know, way superior, the experience was way better and, you know, it had all the bells and whistles that we needed to be kind of grow our client base. Um one of the things that we underestimated was the value of client success um what i mean by that is you know when somebody adopts our technology uh just because our technology is designed in a way which should be very simple to use and get started with doesn't mean that people actually pay the attention or understand how to even get started with it so we had like you know the first year after the the launch of the next version like especially in 2019 2020 um we had a lot of si- situations where we'll have clients come back to us saying that oh i tried this product but you know i didn't really see the value or i didn't really see why this is better than something else i'm using and we used to be like what happened and 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 part of the in immediate response is that okay maybe you know you are not not the right user for this technology maybe you know you should just use what you were using because we are better and this is better and you should get it but but then i realized is that it's so important to kind of really understand the context of the clients and then really feel for themselves like have that kind of deeper understanding so that we we not just going kind to of look the in the world from our product standpoint and why is it better but like from a client standpoint like what else they are using and where exactly we fit into their value prop and why we have to really pay attention to that and kind of help them kind of through the, through that journey of kind of adopting our technology is something that we ignored um, i would say or at least personally i didn't value enough um, you know when we got started but i think the good thing that happened for us is you know we hired the right team members who are were quite passionate about it and they kind of went around and created the right processes and right systems had the right team members to be able to kind of handle that so that's an area i think we do quite well to the point that people actually point us out as a vendor in the market which is doing exceptionally good client success but but that wasn't the case like even 2 years back so shanak what does the future look like for the product and for your team. You know the our goal is to continue to build um on this problem that we are solving which is building communities in every learning environment. So the the vision that we have is um you know today if you think about learning doesn't matter in what phase of life like from K12 to higher education to corporate training 
learning today is very much individualized where people almost have to go to websites and kind of learn on their own but there is this tremendous opportunity for people to actually learn together with people who have the same interest and you know that could be part of every learning design um so our vision is to make yellow dig available and work in every learning environment where we can build communities and help learners connect with like-minded people and kind of have lots of fun actually through the learning process so th- that's the vision we have as a company um and you know our future is to um you know attract the right team members as we scale and the right clients for us to kind of get to that point um it's a you know I, one thing i'll say is that education is a is a very mature and very traditional industry uh, it doesn't change overnight so you know i think one of the things uh, that we are hoping to do is to be patient with our clients and be able to kind of show them the value of the product that we have and kind of take them through the journey so you know if we can take them there in the next 5 10 years i mean we'll be i would be very happy what's well, what you shanak who influences the way that you work name a person you look up to and why A couple of people comes to mind and one of course and I've been a huge fan of Steve Jobs um you know I love this idea of you know having a product driven innovation mindset which I think he's one of the best I've ever seen um so you know whenever I'm thinking about um you know building um creating any new product or service I always think about kind of the way his framework I've seen at least I've kind of read his book or kind of I've seen how he has approached things influences me uh simplicity customer focus creating value uh, through good design um you know those kind of philosophies i i completely love um the other person comes to my mind is you know kind of from a leadership standpoint of course you know it might be a cliche is like you know elon musk is i'm a big fan of him because i feel that you know having you know i mean the most interesting thing is that he has taken very traditional sectors and kind of pure perseverance he has kind of transformed them which is of course you know I'm not saying I'll be ever there but I, you know I think that gives me the motivation to actually stick on to education and kind of try to transform it even though it's hard but I think I think it's kind of well worth it. We talked about a mistake uh, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? You know one thing I feel is um that you know of course i've been on this journey for 7 years now so you know i mean one of the big things i always think about is you know what can it be done shorter like can it be done in 2 years as opposed to 7 years uh you know and some of those i cover like you know of course one mistake is i mean i would say is um you know thing that i would do differently if i were to redo it is essentially you know do the initial mvp test it but not try to grow the mvp into a full-fledged product but actually quickly think about how do i should we kind of rebuild the mvp early on maybe in the, in the first couple of years as opposed to waiting for 2 3 years and try to grow the business i think that took us a bunch of years that we could have saved um if we were to if i were to redo it um the other thing i would say is that um you know like the other thing i would say is that also thinking about um you know kind of the end game in mind because you know the approach we took in building yellowdig was mostly very you know micro to macro which is kind of trying to solve the problem and then trying to understand the space we are working in and then over time we realized how to even sell to you know higher education which was a completely new thing for me when i started like we didn't know how to even sell into higher education even though we had a product in higher education so if i were to redo this in education i would probably spend or any other industry i would spend more time understanding 
the sector more, maybe connecting with more people who have sold products and services right from day one, uh, because that wasn't so much of a focus for me. I was overly focused on the user and the problem, but I think kind of having a little bigger picture right from day one and trying to make those connections early on, especially in areas where I didn't have as much of experience would have saved me time. Probably I'll kind of do that more, you know, when I, you know, if, if I'm starting another venture. So, so last question, Sean. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? You know, I'm always excited when, you know, entrepreneurs, young or old, like whoever is starting a new company or a new venture is that I, I would say the biggest thing I'll say is that, look, it might sound very hard in the beginning because the first couple of years is quite tough, especially as a first time entrepreneur, because you're trying to figure out everything, like not only the company and the problem, but also about yourself, because, you know, part of the journey as an entrepreneur is to actually know yourself, your strengths and weaknesses, which is something, you know, we think we know, but you know, it's a reality test, you know, right in, in, in the market in real time. Um, all I would say is that, look, I mean, all of that is might you know might be quite hard in the first couple of years, but if you can make through that and kind of you know stick to it for long enough, I think it works out. It's not that hard. That hard meaning to kind of start to kind of figure things out and start to you know grow a business. So I would say, you know, maintain patience. Doesn't matter where things are because I think over time it works out. Um, the other thing I'll also say is that you know which I kind of. Sometimes I feel is, you know, don't, you know, not to spend too much time on the glory side because it's easy to get caught up in, you know, everything that's happening and all these, you know, people are starting companies and things are getting launched and things happen that happens. And it kind of, you know, it almost like it can get distracting at some point because it's always like, oh, am I working on the right problem or do I have the right team and this and that. And I would say like, you know, rather than kind of really you know, questioning all the time rather than kind of focusing on one thing that you're truly passionate about and just kind of go for it. And, you know, what time you, you may end up building something meaningful. It may not be exactly what you thought, well, but it might be more meaningful than not doing anything, essentially. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, keeping that, kind of keeping a little more focus on, you know, what, what you're passionate about as opposed to kind of getting distracted about all this buzz that always happens around when you're building a company. I really like what you said about more meaning by doing something than not doing anything. I think that's uh, that's fantastic advice. Well, Shonik, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Yellow Dig. No, thank you so much. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.